0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome to episode eight of the Clip City podcast on Blue Wire. I am your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. Clippers are down 1-0 to the Golden State Warriors in the best of seven series. It is Sunday night, so I've had a day, 24 hours, to ruminate on the series, on the loss, what the Clippers need to do better, what they did well uh, and need to continue to do moving forward. I thought it was a bit of a frustrating game for the Clippers because they actually played pretty well, uh, especially defensively. And I think their game plan worked. You know, their Their plan was to completely ignore... Draymond Green and Demarcus Cousins. Uh, Danilo Gallinari was defending Draymond. Ivica Zubat started on, on Demarcus, but Trez defended him later, and, and so did Michael Green. Those two guys were completely ignoring them. And you had Shea on Steph. You had Pat on Katie, which I had predicted on here last episode. And you had Landry Shamit on Clay. And those three were going to top lock, which basically means kind of blocking, you know, when you see a screen coming, you get in between the guy and the screen, almost forcing him to backdoor towards the paint, uh, kind of trying to prevent him from, uh, you know, running out, curling off the screen, popping out, flaring out, uh, getting open basically off of the screen. So that was kind of the Clippers' MO with with those guys. And they did a pretty good job. You know, like I, I think for the most part, you know, from from what I saw, from from talking to the players afterwards, talking to some of the uh, the, the coaches and, and the video guys, like they all were kind of unanimously in agreement. Like the Clippers defensively played very, very well. Uh, it was the other end of the floor, the offensive end, where the Warriors just completely shut them down. Clippers, you know, did not look comfortable at all, really, for for the entire night. Besides Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, uh, who pick and rolled the Warriors almost to death. Uh, combined for 51 points, the first bench duo uh, since they started tracking bench stats in 1970-71 to each score 25 points off the bench. Uh, Trez at 26, Lou had 25. But outside of that, the Clippers were not comfortable. Uh, Shea had 18 points on 6-16 six shooting. He was blocked four times. Janila Galinari had 15 points on 4-14 four shooting. He was forcing shots. Did not look comfortable going up against Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala. The Warriors just really forced the Clippers out of their comfort zone offensively. And anytime you turn the ball over or take a bad shot against this team, it's basically death. Like this, the Warriors are probably you know the, the Showtime Lakers have that uh, kind of perception as, as the greatest show on, on earth and you know the the greatest transition offense and all that stuff. Like the Warriors have eclipsed that and and they've eclipsed that with their three point shooting and transition and. You have Steph pulling up from 32 feet, uh, getting fouled from behind by Garrett Temple. Them, you know, they didn't call it, but like he's just insane. Like Steph Curry is insane. Uh, but I, I thought the, the Clippers, like overall, the Clippers' game plan worked defensively. Uh, I think they need to continue to do that into Game Two. Really, the o- <laughs> the only problem with their their defensive game plan was Steph Curry is just so darn good, and there, there's only so much you can do against him. They did make some mistakes. There were a few times where, for whatever reason, the big man involved, you know, defending the pick and roll was kind of just not alert and, and you know, dropped back. And uh, as, I, as I mentioned in the, in the past, like you can't drop back against Steph. Steph is the, the, you know, not only is he the best three point shooter of all time, he's by far the best off the dribble three point shooter of all time. And if you go under a screen, if you drop against him uh, in pick and roll coverage, he's going to pull up from anywhere within 35 feet. And if he can get a shot off, there's a pretty good chance it's going to go in. So, you know, there might be a game this series where he he goes cold. Uh, He had 30, it's insane. He had 38 points on 11 of 16 shooting, which is just ridiculous. Uh, He had eight threes and he he just torched the Clippers. So I think that the biggest adjustment defensively for the Clippers, I think they're going to continue to ignore Draymond Green, DeMarcus Cousins. If those two want to keep shooting, let them shoot. De- DeMarcus was terrible in this game on both ends. You know, on, on the defensive side, he fouled out. Uh, the Clippers pick and rolled him. Were, we're carving him up. Lou Williams just getting by him every time. Huge net negative on defense. And then offensively, he was kind of you know messing up the spacing because the Clippers were not guarding him, and they were happy to to have him take threes and and take outside jumpers and try to be a facilitator or or penetrator from there. Clippers will live with that, you know, for, for the Clippers defense, any shot that comes from Draymond Green or DeMarcus Cousins and does not come from Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, or Kevin Durant, that is a win for the Clippers defense. So, you know, moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the Warriors counter with that. One of their counters is using Draymond or DeMarcus, you know, either as, as facilitators, um, you know, to kind of find a guy cutting or, or popping out or just kind of in, in the corner or something. Or using them as screeners, because think about it, you know, if, if Zoo or Gallo or whoever's defending them is around the paint or, or kind of, you know, dropped back, if they go screen for, you know, they, they go screen Pat on KD or they go screen Shay on, on, on Steph, that guy now has to get, our, you know, navigate that screen and stick with their man and have no help with them. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're guarding Steph and you have to now navigate his screen, stick with Steph, make sure he doesn't get the ball. And if he does get the ball, make sure he doesn't get a shot off. That's pretty hard. And I think the, the Warriors are really good at exploiting that. So there's always counters. There's always adjustments. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, what, how each team comes out in game two, what adjustments they make for the Clippers on the defensive side. I think the only adjustment they're going to make is putting Pat Beverly on Steph. I, I think it's time to do it. I think Pat is actually better suited to defend wings. The Clippers have been calling him their small forward now since all these trades went down. And and he is the de facto small forward. And I know Shea technically was listed at the small forward position, but defensively, the Clippers have used Pat as a small forward. They put him on Paul George. They put him on LeBron. They've been putting on team's best wing defenders because he's their best perimeter defender. And there is a steep drop-off between him and and Landry and, and him and Shea so, uh, you know, like, it, it makes sense to me. Kevin Durant is arguably the best player in the league and, and arguably the best offensive player, arguably the best one-on-one scorer in the league. It makes sense why you would take him out with Pat. Um, you know, I don't think it was a gimmick. I don't think the, the Clippers were just trying to troll the Warriors or just try to have Pat get under Katie's skin. Like, that. that's part of it. You know, that comes with Pat, you know, whoever Pat defends. But um, I think the Clippers made a, a decision we want to try to take out KD more, and it was kind of successful. Like KD, you know, he had twenty three points. Uh, I don't remember how many assists he had. I think he had five or six. But uh, you know, he he was way more passive and more of a facilitator th- than usual. Now Steph was the one though that got off. You know, he he got open a lot off screens. You know, ball screens, uh, getting lost in transition, and, and the Clippers can't have that. And you know, they talked about it today. Doc did. Uh, gallo did at at shoot around you cannot leave steph curry open uh you know doc was like we you know we literally said if you're going to make a a mistake defensively steph is the one guy you do not make a a mistake on defensively like make a mistake on anyone else katie clay draymond boogie andre goodala sean like go down the warriors roster the one guy you do not let get open that you do not let get hot is steph because when steph is hot there's no one in the league better than him. Uh, you know that that Doc didn't say that. I, I'm saying that now. I'm, I'm continuing his words. Like Steph, you know, he's the most flammable player in the league. When when he's on fire, like he's unguardable, can score from anywhere. So I think that's going to be the Clippers' focus in, into game uh, into game two is going to be putting Pat on Steph, hoping Pat can lock him down. Uh, you know, you're when you're playing the Warriors, when you're defending them, it's almost like whack a mole. Like you know, one one mole comes up, you try to whack that one, then another one pops up, and it keeps. You know, it's just inevitable. So you you try to take away KD, well then Steph gets off, and now you're trying to take away Steph, and you know Clay, maybe Clay goes off next game. Like he, you you don't know. So I think the Clippers are going to put Pat on Steph. I think they're going to put Gallo on KD. I think they're going to keep Landry on Clay. Landry did a pretty uh, you know sneakily good job on Clay. Uh, didn't really get credit for that, but he he kind of took Clay. You know Clay took him out, but he also took Clay out. Uh, and then I think they're going to put Shea in the help position on Draymond and ignore Draymond and just kind of act as that guy who doubles in the post, who helps against back doors, helps against cuts, uh, and is, you know, just kind of ignoring Draymond and, and roaming around defensively. Now, the offensive side. The offensive side is what cost the Clippers uh, this game. They had 19-team turnovers. Uh, the, the Warriors scored 22 points off of those turnovers, uh, and really, you know, the Clippers had some <laughs> terrible turnovers, you know, just bad passes in transition, uh, some quest- just questionable passing and decision-making in the in the half court, and you just can't do that against this team. Like, this is, you know, in general, it's hard to win when you turn the ball over. Like, the, that's obviously a basic game plan, but against the Warriors specifically, uh, you know, this team's ability to get out in transition, their ability to pull up from three, their ability to just create you know, bend your defense until it breaks. That is just so hard to overcome when you're turning the ball over, giving them extra possessions. On top of that, the Warriors had 11 offensive rebounds and won the rebounding battle by 13. That, it's just so tough. Like you cannot, that's the one thing, you you have to defend the Warriors well. And that's already a challenge in and of itself. And the Clippers did that. But on top of that, you have to defend them well. Then you have to score and score at a high rate and, and the, the Clippers failed at that part in game one. But on top of that, you, you know, during all, both of those simultaneous goals, you also have to maximize every possession. And part of that is uh, on the offensive side, not turning the ball over, not taking bad shots, uh, you know, really kind of positioning yourself to be able to get back in transition when you do take shots and, and not necessarily crashing, uh, crashing the offensive glass super hard. you do kind of want to send a guy you know one or two guys to to maybe get an offensive rebound because the warriors aren't a great rebounding team but you also have to be conscious of if you send one two three guys that means there's potentially a three-on-two fast break the other way a four-on-two fast break and and that's you know the warriors are going to score if that's the case so you have to be conscious of your turnovers your shot selection uh and and then the you know defensive rebounding you have to rebound the ball against the warriors if you look at the teams that have been able to push them or, or even, you know, win, which in, you know, uh, over the last few years, that's only been the Cavs, like they, you got to control the glass. You got to defend them very well. And then you also have to be able to score on them on the other end. And part of that three-point shooting, and, and that's where my, my issue with the Clippers three-point shooting all season kind of comes in. They took more threes in this game. Uh, I don't have the exact number in front of me. I think they're around, they were 11 of 30, which 30 is a solid number. I, I still think... You know, the, the, the for comparison's sake, the Warriors were fourteen of thirty, so they took the same amount of attempts, made three more. Uh, that was, that's low for the Warriors. Like, well, that's actually kind of yeah, it's a little low for the Warriors, but uh, they, they take less threes than you think, but they they're just so good at them. You know, they shot forty seven percent in this matchup. Clippers shot thirty seven percent, so they they could have taken you know three to five more threes. I think a big difference for the Clippers offensively. So they had the nineteen team turnovers. You know, seventeen overall, but but nineteen team they were out rebounded and then you know the, the assists were solid 24 assists on, on 38 shots the warriors had 31 assists on, on 45 made field goals but the, it was really the free throws and the free throws I, I thought took the the clippers get to the free throw line 28.5 times you know shoot 28.5 free throws a game which is the highest uh, amount since the 2015-16 rockets so the, the clippers get to the free throw line a ridiculous amount and that's because they have guys who are really good at drawing contact, you know, getting getting in the foul line. Lou Williams, Montrez Harold, Danilo Gallinari. They're the only team in the league with three players averaging five or more free throw attempts. Uh, you know, only seven teams had even two guys averaging five or more. The Clippers are the only team with three. So the Clippers that's a it's a big part of their offense. And and it's really a big part of their identity because, you know, when you're getting to the free throw line a lot, you're controlling the pace of the game, you're controlling uh, you know, you're you're getting the other team in foul trouble. You're ideally getting their best players and best defenders in foul trouble, and, and you're you're sort of when a team is in foul trouble. You know, whether it's just they're they're in the bonus or their best players or best defenders in foul trouble, that does dictate the way they defend you. You know, it, it has to if you're if you're going up against the Warriors, for example, and. You know, Steph has four fouls and Katie has five. Like those guys are going to be very conscious of the way they defend you, and if you can, if you can attack them and exploit that, you're going to get high percentage looks because those guys are not going to want to foul out. So that is something the Clippers have done well all season. They fouled out Kevin Durant in, in their lone win over the Warriors in November. Uh, they had that game last month in, or in March where they fouled out Westbrook and Paul George and, and beat the Thunder. Uh, they, they've had. I'm trying to think who else they've they've. They fouled out they, they fouled someone else out that I was thinking of earlier that I can't remember, but they, they fouled out multiple superstars. Uh, you know, they fouled out Boogie a couple times now against the Warriors. He fouled out in this game. And I, I think for the for the Clippers, their identity is so tied in with just getting teams in foul trouble, getting the free throw line, getting a consistent amount of points from the free throw line, because they're really good free throw shooting. Team too, I I think they were fourth or fifth in percentage. Clippers only got to the free throw line twenty-two times. They they made seventeen, so seventy-seven percent. But that was a big thing for them. I I thought they lost their composure uh, really early on. You you could tell, especially in that second quarter when when Gallo got a tech and and Doc got a tech at halftime. It's really that swing where it it was a tied game. They tied it up at fifty-one. Steph went on this crazy run to kind of end the half and extend the lead for the Warriors. I think that a nine-point halftime lead, but the Clippers just kind of came undone, and it was really, you know, rare. It was just kind of odd to see that because all season this team has faced adversity. They they overcame the preseason expectations. No one expected them to be a playoff team. They you know they they kind of faced doubters and critics all season. No one really believed in them. They overcame that. Then at the at the trade deadline, no one made more moves and and traded more of traded or waived more of their roster than the Clippers, and the Clippers withstood that. And not only did they withstand that, they actually got better uh, and played better both ends of the floor. It felt like the team chemistry got even stronger, and, and this team just was was at a higher level after all that adversity and, and, and turnover and change. Then you know they they they've that they were one of the best crunch time teams in the league. Uh, they had multiple twenty point comebacks like. This team has thrived when when counted out, when facing adversity, when things have not gone their way, they've always made the best of it and, and not only made the best of it, but almost like improved and, and gotten better and just kind of thrived through all that. So to me, for, for them to not get foul calls, uh there there were a lot of questionable non-calls, you know. As I try to remain as objective as I can, but I did notice, you know, it did feel like they were getting hacked and hammered in the lane. And, and you know so they did take more free throws than the warriors you know they took two more but the the warriors actually average around 20 21 free throws a game they took 20 free throws so it was an average night for the warriors they actually don't draw a lot of contact with the way they play it is a lot of shooting uh, it's a lot of just motion and cutting and like so that maybe they get some fouls in, in the paint like that but for the most part it is a lot of jump shooting and and you know that that's their strength like uh, you know they should do that but for the Clippers, I felt like the fact that they weren't getting calls, the fact that they were in Oracle, playing the Warriors, the Warriors got a, you a know, few questionable calls, I felt. And on the other end, you know the Clippers were not getting the same calls. Inherently, when you're going up against a team with a bunch of stars and you don't have a star, there's going to be that dynamic where Kevin Durant gets a, a, a certain foul call and you're like, why did Kevin get that? Or, or Steph gets it and you're like, why did Steph get it? On top of that, you have Draymond Green and DeMarcus Cousins uh, yelling at the refs, cussing out the refs. And then Gallo, according to Doc, just asks, you know, what, you know why, why was there no call on that or something along those lines. And then Gallo gets a tech. So and then Doc says he just yells at the ref, you know, all I want is consistency when he's saying Draymond and, and DeMarcus and, you know, some of the, the Warriors are screaming and cussing out the refs and, and they don't get a tech. And then Gallo, who's typically, you know, he's very respectful towards refs. He's, he's mild mannered. He's not really a guy who yells a lot, complains a lot. He gets a tech for for just asking where a foul call was. So, I think the the Clippers lost their composure and they talked about it after the game. Doc talked about it. Lou talked about it. Like they they let the refereeing and the non calls get into their head. They they kind of they didn't use it as an excuse as to why they they lost or or you know kind of why the the Warriors were able to go on a couple big runs in the second and third quarter. But they did admit that it, it did kind of get under their skin. It, it did kind of sap their their composure and and their even keeledness a little bit so that's something to watch in game two uh i think that for you know looking at the the, what the clippers need to do adjustment wise like the biggest thing is stopping Steph curry that you as i said the the biggest key for me and it's going to be the key throughout the rest of the series however long it goes is the clippers defense versus the warriors offense the clippers probably actually defended the warriors like an 8 out of 10 8.5 out of 10 they they defended them uh, you know close to their max their peak the one guy that went off was Steph, and, and that won the Warriors the game. And the Clippers are going to have to, you know, that that's the one mole in the, the whack a mole. They're really going to have to hammer hard and, and try to keep that one uh, down for, and from popping up. But if they could take out Steph, uh, not turn the ball over, and keep their composure when they're not getting foul calls, even if Steph and KD are getting, you know, it. look, it's the Warriors. They are the NBA's darling. They have. Four All-Star caliber players, four All-NBA caliber players, uh, a fifth guy who who was you know is a year removed from from being of that caliber in Demarcus Cousins. They have Andre Iguodala Finals MVP off the bench. Like they're loaded with talent. They're going to get calls. They're playing at Oracle. They're going to get calls. Like is it fair? No, but that's just the reality of the situation, and you you have to make the best of it. And I just think the Clippers kind of went away from their identity for parts of Game One, and it really affected them with that said, you know, I think this game felt closer than a 17 point game. I think just those couple Steph stretches really blew open the game and the Clippers are going to have to be better at weathering that storm because Steph is a one man fast break. He's a one man detonation button. And, uh, if you can kind of, you know, be wary of that and, and, you know, be just conscious and, and, you know you can't leave Steph like that. That's the one thing you, you just can't leave him. Um, but I think overall, I'm actually more encouraged about the Clippers' chances of at least getting a game uh, in this series after Game One than I was heading into Game One. I thought there was a lot of positive things to take away. At Blue Wire, we don't just partner with any advertiser. We wanna make sure we're giving our listeners a good deal on a product. That's exactly why we love doing business with Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. Go to harrys.com backslash bluewire and you'll save $10 on a trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and over Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany. That's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash blue wire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. All right, quickly, I want to get to a few quick hitting thoughts that I had from this game. So Lou and Trez pick and roll, I was very impressed with. It's worked all season, but it hasn't necessarily worked against the Warriors. I thought the, the one game that it did work was the Clippers' win on the Warriors in November. Otherwise, the Warriors made a concerted effort to take Trez out, uh, be very physical with him, use bigger defenders like Andrew Bogut and DeMarcus Cousins to, to body him, to block his— you know, last two games he played against the Warriors, Trez did not play well. And I, I thought you know the first game in L.A., DeMarcus dominated him to the point where uh, Doc took out Trez— and you know he blocked him a couple times just pushing him around scoring on him on the other end and then that the last game uh, last week in oracle andrew bogut blocked him you know two or three times uh had there was like three straight possessions where trez you know went at him kind of got fouled they didn't call it another one you know contested it really well he missed it another one bogut blocked him and it was just like very frustrating for trez that he, he could not score against bogut and you know, bigger guy, You know, guys six, eleven, seven feet, seven one, who have long arms and big bodies, who can stick with Trez and not get bulldozed by him, really frustrate him, and they've frustrated him all season. Uh, a guy who gave him trouble randomly earlier in the year was was Yaka the you know, Spurs backup center, and uh, you know he, he's one of those guys who's just you know that six, eleven, long arms, big body can can battle with Trez inside, and, and he really gave Trez fits when when the you know when he played it against him in, in the Spurs. So I was really surprised. Now I'm going to say the, the Warriors are going to scheme to take that out. The Warriors are going to play even more aggressively off shooters like that. That was the first thing I noticed, you know, from the Warriors defense in the beginning of the game was that they do not respect the Clippers shooting. You know, they were disrespecting even Gallo. They were going under screens uh, against Gallo. They were going under screens against Pat Landry was the one guy that they were like, all right, we're, we're sticking with this guy. He, he, he's a, an elite shooter clay live in his jersey do not let him get the ball you know do whatever you have to do grab him push him hold him whatever landry shaman is not going to beat us he's not going to get the ball he's not going to look so they, they took landry completely out which clippers are gonna have to work on but the rest of the guys you know shea they, they've been ignoring all season they don't believe in his shooting uh gallo i, I was surprised at that and gallo hit it, you know a couple threes uh, against them when they went under you know against him and then pat they're like all right pat do whatever you want. So they're going to probably do that more aggressively, uh, especially against the, the Clipper second unit. They're probably going to leave Jermichael. They're going to leave Wilson. They're going to leave Garrett. And they're really going to collapse on the Lutrez pick and roll. They're going to pack the paint. And it's going to come down to those guys hitting threes or, or driving and kicking, finding the next guy, and uh, really you know making them pay. Because I think the, the, Warriors are going to, the Warriors tend to do things drastically in the playoffs in, in terms of their defensive uh, coverages and schemes and, and kind of gimmicks. And, you know, that in the past, that was like putting Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen, which you would never think to put your your center on a shooting guard or small forward, but they put him on because Tony Allen couldn't shoot. And they're like, we're going to have Andrew Bogut act as a helper. And we're going to have Draymond guard Marcus despite being six inches smaller than him. Uh, and we're going to double and, you know, a lot of some similar things to what the Clippers are trying to do. But I think that's going to be their adjustment. And it's going to be interesting to see how. The Clippers counter that, and, and if those guys can make the shots, uh, Demarcus Cousins, I think the Clippers should be clapping anytime Demarcus Cousins is on the floor. He's been a you know he's a disaster in Game One. Uh, he's been kind of up and down in in all three meetings, but overall, I think he, he's their worst center option against the Clippers. I think Cavon Looney and, and Andrew Bogut are, are better, at least in this matchup, and you know the Warriors can't they can't just bench Boogie because he's Boogie. And, you know, I'm sure there was some level of promises that, that they promised him a certain role or a certain amount of playing time in the playoffs. So they're going to have to honor that. But I do think that for them, they're, they're going to probably have to limit his minutes. And for the Clippers' sake, they, they better hope he does not foul out. The Pat Kitty thing, that was, that was great. But you expect that from Pat, right? Like Pat Pat loves getting into it with guys on the road. That, that's his thing. You know, he, he gets into it with fans. He gets into it with the crowd. He gets into it with, with opponents. Uh, Pat has had these incidents, and they've mainly been on the road. So nothing new there uh, for, I think, like I said, I think he's going to switch to Steph. So I, I don't I don't think Steph is going to get into it with Pat the way KD would. Steph just doesn't have that same persona KD does. You know, KD kind of has the, the fake tough... I don't know if I want to say fake tough guy but like he he does try to sometimes act like he's he a certain way on the court when it doesn't seem like that that's really who he is necessarily uh, and uh you know and some people say Pat does that too and you know we'll never know cuz these guys are never going to fight and from everything they said post game it seemed like they were on uh you know good terms with each other there's no bad blood this wasn't something that was going to bleed over to game 2 but you never know uh, and especially if Pat if Pat defends Katie again, I think we will see some more of that. But uh, it, you know, those f- fun interaction. The game was already kind of out of hand at that point, and uh, it was a it was a bit of a quick ejection. But I get it. Clippers really need to get Landry Shamit going. It's it's hard when the the Warriors are so keying in on him, and on the other end, the Clippers are doing the same thing to the Warrior shooters, and they kind of took Clay out. So if there's an easy way to get clay going there, you know, you'd think their Clippers could also figure out a way to get Landry going. Uh, I do think they just need to run him through more stuff. Uh, maybe run some, some double staggers, some, some double screens, uh, just kind of, you know, maybe even have him bring the ball up to start. Uh, I, you know, I, I, think they, they gotta get creative with it, but they, they can't just let the warriors just take him out of the game. And then some some other quick hitting stuff like Gallo. As I said, I think he needs to be the third best player in the series. He wasn't even the third best player in the Clippers in, in this game. I thought I thought it was Shea after Lou and Trez. Uh, so Gallo, like you, you, you need more from Gallo. And you know he, upon rewatching the game, he was more aggressive than I I thought he was. You know from from first glance at the game. But he, he did take some bad shots. The Warriors' wings really did bother him. They have a lot of guys to throw at him. And who knows? Maybe, maybe I was wrong, and, and Lou or Trez needs to be that third best guy. But And they were. Like, I, I would say you know, I, I thought Steph was, was the best player in the game, and, and then it was probably KD. And then after that, it was like Lou, Trez, and Draymond were all pretty close. It would be kind of hard to pick between the three. I might go Trez third and then like a tie between Lou and Draymond for fourth uh, but like th- that part actually went in the clippers favor where Lou and Trez just played so well for for Lou what what no one really you know was talking about like that was his playoff career high Lou, Lou has secretly not been good in the playoffs he's never averaged more than 12.8 points a game in the playoffs and he shot 40% or worse in 5 of his 7 postseason appearances so his 25 points and nine assists were actually his playoff highs in both points and assists. Uh, so you know, shout out, you know, Lou deserves credit for that. Uh, his his defense was not great, but not as bad as it's been in the past. He he was competing. He got some some steals, some some deflections. Like it was a pretty good overall game for Lou. Zoo, oof. zoo. It's gonna be tough to play him in this series because. What the Clippers are asking, you saw it in one of the first possessions of the game. Gallo went to, Gallo, who's defending Draymond, went to double on, you know, Katie in the post. And Zoo was kind of stuck between rotating down to Draymond, who had cut towards the rim, and Boogie, who was spotting up the three-point line. Now, that was Zoo's fault. He just kind of stayed in no man's land. He wasn't really in between either of them. And Draymond got a wide-open dunk. Uh, and then Doc called timeout and lit into Zoo. And that, that was, you know, the cameras picked that up. But I just don't think Zoo is is quick enough to make the quick reads that the Clippers are going to need in this series. And you cannot hesitate against the Warriors. You know, they're going to try to confuse you with their motion and their screens and back screens and cuts and the, just like a whizzing offense. And you have to be able to think, you know, quick on your feet and and really just... You know, not you can't react. You have to be proactive against them. You have to dictate the action, and I just don't think that's the type of defender Zoo is yet. Uh, so I do expect him to stay in that like ten to twelve minute role and potentially lose his starting position. It would not surprise me if Trez or Jermichael Green, who I thought played you know fairly well, uh, started, and, and I think Jermichael is going to have a bigger role moving forward. Uh, last thing that I want to touch on was Shea, and I, I thought Shea. Shay to me was he he was he's always the most interesting Clipper because he's the one that you know, he's kind of the franchise guy moving forward and he's he's the one with the most potential he he he's a potential All Star potential All NBA type guy and I think Shay is you, you know uh, I think Shay has such a bright future and you just see glimpses of it and and defensively like Steph got open against him. Uh, multiple times, there was multiple rookie mistakes on, on Shea Zen, just, you know, going the wrong way around a screen or, you know, just misreading a situation and, and Steph got open. Now, some of that was on the Clippers bigs, uh, you know, again, the, the Clippers bigs cannot drop against Steph. Like you, ha- you have to play up on him. Uh, you don't need to necessarily trap or blitz him, but you have to be up uh, anytime Steph is involved in a drag screen and a high pick and roll. Uh, anytime he's around that three-point arc with the ball, you have to be aware, especially if your man is going up to screen, uh, you know, screen him. So I didn't think Shea's defense was terrible. It was probably somewhere between below average and bad, but uh, you know he competed and, and he had three blocks, and I thought you know, and that's where I think his his value is. Like he he did block Steph once, uh, you know, kind of coming behind him on, on a three-point attempt, but. You know Shea has value as a weak side helper, a weak side shot blocker, and that's why I think he should switch to Draymond and be in that help role because you know he is six six with a seven foot wing, you know seven foot whatever wingspan. Like he, he's basically the size of a small forward or a small power forward. He he can help, and I think that you know he's probably better suited to help than, than maybe even Gallo, um, or or at least get, you know given the given the matchups. And how they're kind of shaking out. I think it, it's more effective to put Gallo and Katie and, and have Shea help. But uh, offensively, I, I thought Shea was aggressive and assertive, uh, almost too much so, where he, he was forcing some shots. Uh, and it was almost like any time he had a, a sliver of an opening, he, he was forcing a shot. Uh, he got blocked four times. He, he finished six of sixteen, and you know, again, like he, he needs to get better at, at not exposing the ball, finishing strong, finishing through contact. But overall, I would, you know, give Shea probably a, a B, maybe a, probably a B for his playoff debut, maybe B plus B, B plus, uh, you know, there's some stuff he needs to work on, again, you know, finishing stronger through contact on offense, and then defensively, uh, his on ball defense needs to get better is a navigation through screens, but he's a rookie, rookies are typically bad at defense, the fact that he's average to slightly above average already speaks to his defensive potential and his two-way potential. So yeah, I covered a lot, but you know, some of this I wrote about, you could check out my full article of observations and quick hitting thoughts on theathletic.com. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, please do so. You could check it out for a one week free trial and uh, you know, you could subscribe for the price of a cup of coffee a month. Um, I'd like to Thank everyone for listening to episode eight. Uh, if you have any questions for me, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at Jovan Buha. That is at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And if you have not subscribed to this podcast, the Clip City podcast on Blue Wire, uh, please do so. Subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are always appreciated. Uh, nice comments. Uh, I read them all. I appreciate them all. And uh, yeah, I'll be doing this after every game. So after game two, uh, I'll have a couple days to, to podcast, but probably will come out, I would say on on Wednesday and uh, I'll have my game two thoughts, what adjustments the Clippers made, what adjustments the Warriors made, and, and how I think the clippers can go from there. Uh, my game two prediction, I, I don't know. I, I'm expecting a closer game or at least a closer game for longer. I don't know if that means the, you know, I, I don't know if that means the clippers win i think it's gonna to be tough for them to win an oracle uh and you know my official prediction was clippers in five and, and i had them winning a game in Staples center so i probably think you know i think they probably lose game two but you never know we'll, we'll see what adjustments they make we'll see how they take stuff out uh if they are able to he's, he's i mean he's averaging 35 points and 55 percent shooting against them this season so it, he's really lit them up but i think if they can focus on that not turn the ball over get back in transition and and control the glass or at least stay even on it i have a pretty good shot to win this one so we shall see game two is tonight if you're listening to this and uh hope you enjoy the podcast and i will talk to you guys on wednesday